Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. What's up, Southcrest? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That was... That was terrible. Listen, here's, here's how this is, this is, this is how this is going to work. We got to just get a few ground rules laid out. It's going to be good. Uh, I, I don't know how y'all usually are. Actually, I do. I've been here like every single year for the past however many years, like eight years. But um, I, I just got back from y'all's camp about a month or so ago. And, uh, and when, whenever we ask questions like that, people just yell back. You know what I mean? Not like, oh, we're doing so nice and wonderful. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy to be here. No, we're going to go at it. So I will preach better. And I will preach faster uh, if you will talk back to me, which means I can get you out of here in record time if you will talk back. But if you're quiet, that means I don't think you. Yeah, I don't. That means I don't think you understand what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So, so we're gonna start over. I'm gonna walk back on the stage. You ready? I'm gonna walk back. I'm gonna come back up here. How's everybody doing today? That's good. Let me let me go ahead and welcome our Lagrange campus as well, and all of you that are gonna be watching online. It's going to be uh, an incredible day. But before we get started, uh, let me dive in and say this real quickly, because I think it's, it's important for an outsider to come in and say this sometimes. Um, but what you get to experience week after week, uh, you need to know this. This is not happening everywhere. Uh, God is doing something that's special here. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. How many of you uh, at both of our campuses, how many of you, by raising your hands, either love fireworks or you used to love fireworks? Raise your hand right where, right where you're at. That's good. Put them down. Um, whenever I was little, I used to be infatuated with fireworks. Like you remember when they, when your parents would give you the sparklers and you used to think sparklers were awesome. Uh, now, if somebody handed me a sparkler and said, go have fun, I'm going to be like, what are you smoking? You know what I'm talking about? Cause, uh, that is not gonna, I'm not going to have a great time with a sparkler. Uh, but now, now the older I've gotten, the more it takes to move me in the context of fireworks. I got to see like the greatest show on earth to be able to even, to be able to even look up at the sky and be, huh, that was pretty darn good. You know what I mean? Now I got three kids and my three kids, whenever they were little, they used to love the fireworks and they were infatuated with the fireworks and they thought fireworks were awesome. And I got two of my girls down here, uh, here at our, at our Noonan campus. But what was crazy is the older they got, all of a sudden, it doesn't, it doesn't, it takes, a, it takes a lot more to be able to impress them. You know what I mean? And the reason that's true is because they've become familiar with the fireworks. And sometimes in the church world, you can become familiar with the fireworks and you get accustomed to being in the middle of a move of God. Now, here's the only problem with that. What you fail to celebrate will eventually leave your life. And so if you don't celebrate the move of God that you're in the middle, that's what'll happen. If you don't celebrate the move of God that you're in the middle of, then all of a sudden, the move of God that you're in the middle of can shift and go somewhere else. And so I want to I wanna take a second to brag on your staff. I want to brag on, I mean, I met, I met about 400 of the Southcrest people uh, over the course of this past July or June, whenever we were together uh, down there in Panama City. But you have a great staff. You have a great church. And Pastor Sean is an incredible, incredible man of God. So let's take about five seconds and let's just give God a shout or a clap or a something real quickly. Come on, you can do better than that. Let's go at both campuses. That's good. Let's do this. I, um, I'm excited about being here and I want to dive into this message because if I don't, I'm not going to get done. When I was little, I used to, um, have you ever, have you ever come across something in the Bible and you go to read it and when you read it, you're like, I don't know if I believe that. 
I'm not sure if that one works. I'm not sure if that particular verse, I think the Lord might not have should have put that one in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought that before, but um, when I was little, I, I used to live in Miami, Florida. And when I lived in Miami, it, everything was flat. You know what I mean? There's no mountains. There's no nothing. There's an ocean and it's awesome. And, uh, but I, I had always heard this verse growing up. I grew up in church my whole life. And when I was in church, this guy, he was, I don't know if y'all even know what this is, but uh, a Sunday school teacher. He taught me when I was a little kid. And uh, well, they need to come up with a better name for that because nothing sounds more boring than Sunday school. You know what I mean? Because I don't even like Monday school or Tuesday school or Wednesday school. So I don't want to go to Sunday school. But nonetheless, he taught us about how if we have a little bit of faith, we don't even have to have a lot of faith. If we have a little bit of faith, we can move mountains. Now, my whole life, I'm like, that's awesome. I want to move some mountains, but I've never seen a mountain before. And then I moved to Georgia. And when I moved to Georgia in the sixth grade, I remember, I'll never forget it. My mom was driving. My dad was already up here. Uh, my mom was driving, and me and my sister were in the car. And we passed, no lie, no exaggeration. Some of you have been there before. We passed Kennesaw Mountain. And when we passed Kennesaw Mountain, all of a sudden, like, that verse that they had been telling me my whole life, it popped into my mind. You have faith the size of a mustard seed, which I didn't know you had to have seeds to grow mustard. I thought you just picked it up at Publix. But if you have really small faith, you can move mountains. And I'm like, there's my first mountain. I'm going to move this bad boy because my house, they told me, I was like, mom, do I got mountains at my house? No, I want one. And so I was sitting in the back seat, no exaggeration. And I, I tried to move the mountain. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move it. And so I sat there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to move it. I'm going to move it, Lord. I pray. And I was like, have you ever made up stuff when you're praying so that you can bribe God to get him to do what you want? Lord, I pray that people will get saved on the mountain. God, I pray that lives will be changed on the mountain. God, I pray that, you know, I was just saying all kinds of stuff that I didn't care about. I just wanted the mountain in my yard. So I said, Lord, I'm believing. I'm believing in faith that the mountain is going to be in my yard when I get to my house. When I pulled up to my house, you know what wasn't there? The mountain. And I remember, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try again. I must not have prayed hard enough. Because people always said, if you're praying for something and it hasn't happened yet, and God hasn't answered, that means you got to pray harder. First of all, let's think about this. What in the world does that even mean? How do you pray harder? And so I remember we drove by it again, and I'm, I'm going to pray harder this time. So I'm sitting in the back. My dad's driving. My mom's in the passenger seat. And I'm like, I'm going to pray harder. I don't, I don't know how to pray harder. So I was just making this face. I was like, God, I pray that you would please help the mountains to move. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom real bad. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a similar face that I was making. But uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? After lunch, some of you, you're going to make that face. You can move a mountain or you can move. <laughs> Never mind. But it wouldn't work. And no matter how many times I drove past that daggum mountain, still to this day, it's still in the same spot. It's in Kennesaw. Now I live in Ackworth. That mountain is still in Kennesaw. It is not in my backyard, no matter how many times I've tried to move it. And you know what I decided? I, I decided this as a 12-year-old kid. I said, there are a lot of things that God can do, but moving mountains, that's not one of them. God cannot move mountains because I have tried. I tried to move the mountain, and the mountain did not move. And for years of my life, I'm telling you, as a pastor of a church, Whenever I used to get to that verse, I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. The Lord will move the mountains if you just got a little bit of faith. You know what I mean? And I would preach it. And I don't even know if I believed it. Because I tried to move mountains my whole life and nothing happened. And it doesn't matter, if, it doesn't matter so much if you're trying to pick up a mountain and put it in your front yard. But it, it, what happens if the mountain that you're trying to move is an addiction that's in your life? 
And you're praying, you're saying, God, I pray that you would move this, uh, you would move this mountain in my life. But you remember back to the fact that you prayed for God to move the mountains all those years and the mountains never moved. What if the mountain that you're, faces, uh, that you're facing is a relationship challenge? God, I pray that you would intervene in the life of my relationship. God, I pray that you would intervene in the life of my marriage because, Lord, we need some help. Some of you, some of you LaGrange people, you, you know, Lord, we need some help. But what happens if in the back of your mind, all you're thinking about is what if that's my mountain? What if God can do a lot, but he can't do that? And so for years of my life, that's what I thought. That's what was going through my mind. What if, what if the mountain that you're facing, what if somebody's hurt you in the past and you're struggling with bitterness? What if that's your mountain? What if you can't get past something that happened to you and as a result, you're praying for God to take it from you, but nothing seems to happen. What if you need a job and that's your mountain? God, I've been praying for a job for years or I've been praying, hopefully not years. I've been praying for a job for months. I've been praying for a job for weeks, but nothing is happening. Maybe God can do a lot, but he can't do that. There's a story that's in the Bible and it's in Matthew chapter 17. And here's what I know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church and we have two campuses and God's moving and it's, it's incredible to see what it is that he's done. But you know what, what's interesting? I talk about our terminology. We say we desire to see people far from God experience life in Christ. I know God has the desire. I know God has the desire to change North Atlanta. I know God has the desire to change South Atlanta. I know God has the desire to change the world. And I need you, I need you to know because when, when you start getting ready to place your hope and your trust in something, some of you, I've been watching you on Facebook if you're like the people of my church. And some of you, you think that a Republican can change the world or a Democrat can change the world. If you're putting your hope in a, in a, in a political party, you're going to be in a world of hurt for about the next four years. Some, some of you, you, you might need to know that because every time I say it, it gets a little bit tense. But you need to know a politician ain't going to change the world. Hold on, hold on, hold on. A politician ain't going to change the world. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not going to happen. Some of you are like, yes, they are. If we elect the right person, not this year, big boy. <laughs> not this year. We ain't changing the world this year. It ain't going to happen this year. But here's the good news. I know that it, no matter what happens on election day, the next day when I wake up, Jesus is still on the throne. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is still there. Now, I know he has the desire to change the world. I know he has the desire to move mountains. My question was, I wonder if he has the power to pull it off. Because it don't matter if you have the desire, if you don't have the power. Matthew chapter 17. There's a story that is contained in that book about a demon-possessed boy, a demon-possessed child. Now, not, not necessarily your demon-possessed child, but a demon-possessed child nonetheless. And this demon-possessed child, he, would, uh, he just has some stuff in his life that was... Uh, that was interesting. He would, he would literally, the Bible says in Matthew 17 that he would, he would dive into bodies of water. He would jump into the fire whenever there was a fire going on. You have a bunch of people over to your house and you have the fire pit. It's up and it's going. You got people roasting marshmallows. And then here comes this kid and he runs and jumps in and ruins the whole party. And he gets his leg all burnt up and his dad's chasing behind. And he's like, this is my son, man. Sorry, I'm apologizing for my kid again. He's crazy. I don't know what's wrong with them. And he finds out that the disciples, the, the closest followers of Jesus were going to be in town. And he says, I, I got to figure out a way to help my kid. 
I got I, I to be able to figure out a way for somebody, Scott, to be able to heal my son. I've tried everything and nothing works. I've brought him to every doctor. I've brought him to the psychologist. I've brought him everywhere. I've read the books. I've done the stuff. I've done my homework. I've done everything I know to do. And nothing's happening. Maybe these guys who are the closest followers of Jesus, maybe those guys can be the ones to pull it off. So they bring them up. So the father brings the son up to the disciples. And the disciples, I mean, they, they start doing their thing. They had the power and the authority to change people's lives. Jesus had already given them that. And they start doing their thing. And I don't know the denominational background of all the disciples. You got the, you got the disciples that were, some of you who grew up in church, you'll understand all this, but you got like the Baptist disciples and they're holding hands and they're, they're singing kumbaya and they're praying, they're praying silently. And you know how the Baptist people do it? When somebody prays, the guy standing next to him just says, mm, mm, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say anything out loud. He don't want to open his mouth. He just, mm, he just does his thing. Uh, and they open their eyes. They're like, I wonder if it works. No, this kid's still demon possessed. You got the Pentecostal disciples. The Pentecostal disciples, they're like, they're laying hands on the kid. They're bringing out the flags. They're doing a lap. It's awesome. You know what I mean? They're doing a prophetic word. It's amazing. But when it gets done, kid's still demon possessed. And they can't figure it out. This guy's thinking, I wonder if this is my mountain. There's a lot of things that God can do, but I wonder if God can do that. And so the disciples, they're in a little bit of a frenzy. They're trying to figure out what it is that they're supposed to do. The only thing that they can think of is to bring them, him, to Jesus. So the disciples, they do it. They bring this dad and they bring this dad's son and they bring him up to Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus just did what Jesus always does. And Jesus just changed his life. I mean, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he just snapped his fingers. I don't know if he just spoke the word. I don't know if he waved his hand over him. I'm not real sure what happened, but he, he just heals him right there on the spot. And the dad is in a frenzy. He's so grateful and thankful. And all the people that were gathered around were like, that's awesome. And the disciples are like, that's amazing. That's incredible. Jesus pulled off the miraculous. We couldn't do it, but Jesus did it. And then when they get ready to leave, the disciples walk up to Jesus and they're, they're asking this question. It says in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? In other words, why is it that we couldn't pull this thing off? And I don't know about you. I'm just going to be real honest real quick. I'm on as well because I don't have to stay here. I'm just going to preach a couple times and then I go home. Here's reality. There are times in my life where I see God working miracles in other people's lives. And I wonder why he's not doing the same thing in mine. Now, don't look at me like you're surprised and don't look at me like you ain't never thought that before, like you're a bunch of holy rollers at both of our campuses because you've thought this before. God, I pray that you would break my addiction and your best friend had the same addiction and he broke it six months ago. And you're still in the middle of the struggle. What happened? God, why is the miracle happening there? Why isn't it happening here? God, you're doing incredible things over there. How come I'm not feeling it? How come I'm not experiencing it? How come I don't get to be a part of it like everybody else? That's what the disciples were asking. They're saying, why, why is it that you were able to pull this off and we weren't? And Jesus answers them. It says in verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, here we go, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
And you know what I thought when I read that verse? I'm going to be real honest. I'm not even going to do preacher stuff, preacher talk, preacher stories. When I read that, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, because that's that verse that don't work. Have you ever read a verse in the Bible and you're like, that's that verse that don't work? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Because if you believed everything that you read was going to work in your life, and if you believed that God's word was true in your life, we wouldn't even have the problems that we have. We wouldn't have the struggles that we have. We wouldn't have to have somebody get up and tell us to, to give. We would just give. We wouldn't have to get up here and, and, and listen to people tell us to do all the stuff. We would just do it. We wouldn't have to listen to people tell us to love. We would just love. The, way, the reason that we get ourselves in trouble is because we don't always believe what it is that we read in God's word. And he says, if you have just a little bit of faith, you don't even have to have a lot, just a little bit, just a mustard seed faith. You can say from this mountain, you can say move from here to there and that bad boy will move. Unless it doesn't. Unless you tried for years and nothing's ever happened. Unless you prayed and you prayed harder and you had to go to the bathroom and nothing still worked. What happens when you pray and you don't begin to see what it is that God can do? I went, to, um, I went to Israel about three, two and a half years ago. I've been three times since then, and I'm going back again in January. Matter of fact, I know that you guys are getting ready to go to Israel in several months. And uh, some of you who, if you're in this room at either one of our locations, and you've been going back and forth, vacillating back and forth on whether or not you should go to Israel, listen, let me make your decision for you. Go to Israel. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It's not just a vacation trip. It's so much more than that. It'll change everything about you. Matter of fact, when I went to Israel, one of the days we woke up, we'd wake up and go get on this bus. And this guide, uh, that first year I went, her name was Gila. And I said, where are we going today, Gila? And she's, she's, about, she's about this tall. I'm like, where are we going today, Gila? And she looked up at me. She said, today we go to the Herodian. She didn't talk like that at all. I don't know why I said that. She's like, today we're going to the Herodian. I'm like, awesome. Is that like the Nike store? Like, what, what's the Herodian? I don't even know what that is. She said, you, she said, you'll see when you get there. I'm like, all right. So we pull up. And uh, when we pull up, we get to these, these two mountains. Like in the middle, in the middle of a valley, just these two, these two mountains. And no exaggeration. I don't know if, you've, if, you can, if I can even do this justice, but have you ever been to a church or to a house and you can see where it's obvious they've added on? This mountain looked like it had undergone renovations. That that, that does not make sense. I know. That's why it sounds crazy. It looks like the mountain stopped at one point and then they picked up another mountain and put it on top of it. It looks like that. It's crazy. Go to Israel. You'll see it. You'll believe me because right now you don't believe me. You think I'm exaggerating. Go to Israel and go to the Herodian and you will see it with your own eyeballs. And I said to Gila, I said, Gila, why does it look like they built onto that mountain? And she says, she's, this is what she always says, you will see. <laughs> so we go up to the top of this daggum mountain and we're up there. And I'm not the best sightseer in the world. Just tell me how it'll preach. And then I want to get back on the bus and go to the next thing. But she says, she tells a story about the Herodian and about how there was a king in Israel whose name was Herod who was a genius. He was a terrible person, but he was a genius. 
And he was paranoid all the time that people were going to try to take power from him. At some point, he would even have his children, his young sons, he would even have them killed as they began to rise in popularity. He was very egotistical, paranoid, and a little bit crazy. So he would have all these palaces, castles, if you will, spread out all over town. In case one were to be attacked, he could, he could leave that one and get to another one without any problem. Well, in this case, he knew that he wanted and needed a place to hang out. And when I say hang out, it had a spa. True story. I didn't know they had spas way back then. They had spas. It was unbelievable. A castle, eight miles outside the city of Jerusalem. And whenever he got out there to begin this building project, the mountain that they wanted him to build the palace on was just a little bit smaller than the mountain next door. And the mountain that was a little bit taller was not conducive for building. But Herod could not stand to have a palace on a mountain that was not the highest in the area. So you know what he did? He hired 3,000 people to begin years worth of work of going up on top of the one mountain that was, that was higher, getting shovelfuls of dirt, bringing it down the mountain and up on top of the other mountain, and they elevated the one that was smaller. And after years of doing this, Herod was able to build his castle on a mountain that was higher than the one that he really should have built it on. Now, Jesus, whenever Jesus would teach, Jesus was my kind of teacher. I was a terrible, I got good grades, but I was a terrible student because I can't pay attention for nothing. And as a result, our, our school, they always had windows and squirrels would run by and I'd be gone for seven minutes at a time. You know what I mean? I'm like in the middle of a test, squirrel, and I'm over here. And there was literally, there was nothing I could do about it. But Jesus would always take people, not to classrooms, Jesus would always take people on field trips. And what Jesus did one day was pretty incredible. He's having a conversation right after healing a young boy who had been demon-possessed. And he's talking to the father, and now he's talking to the disciples. And the disciples say to him, how is it that you were able to heal this boy and we weren't? And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said in those verses that I already read to you, he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and he points, he says, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, when I learned that, all of a sudden, as a 34-year-old guy, sitting on a rock on top of a mountain called the Herodian, all of a sudden, memories came flashing back into my brain. And I realized, whenever Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. He wasn't saying you can pick up a mountain and put it in your backyard. He was saying you will have even more power than the most powerful man that had ever lived in the world up until that time. You will have the ability to the disciples and to the people who are now followers of Jesus, you will have the ability to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. In other words, you have the ability to do even more than Herod. And so now I started applying that to my life ever since, ever since that day on top of that mountain. When I got back on the bus, I started thinking about it. Matter of fact, when I got back on the bus, I started typing into my phone the notes for this very message. Because what I, began to, what I began to learn was that all of a sudden, this is starting to make sense. God is the mountain mover, but I am the faith walker. 
God is the mountain mover. I am the faith walker. In other words, here's what I learned. For years in my life, I thought that what I needed to do in order to break addictions in my life or what I needed to do in order to have relational conflict restored in my life or what I needed to do in order to change a city for the glory of God and for the good of others was I needed to pray hard and pray until something happens. But you know what I learned? It's not about praying until something happens. What I learned is that if I stand here and pray and ask God to move and then I wonder why he doesn't, it's because we're not supposed to just stand in hope. God never says, I want you to stand in hope. God says, I want you to walk in faith. See, see it's, good to have a, it's good to pray and it's good to have a plan, but even Herod needed a shovel. I have people that come up to me and they're like, Pastor, I want you to pray for God to give me a job. I'll do it. I'll be honored to pray that God will give you a job. How many applications have you filled out? Pastor, listen, I got so much faith. I'm asking the Lord to give me a job and I ain't even gonna fill out no applications. Do you think that the Lord is gonna send a job in a nice little box and drop it into your lap? I said, I pray that God, instead of praying that God will just drop a job into your lap, I'm gonna pray that he will give you enough faith that you will go and you will fill out about 25 applications a day knowing that that's how it is that God is going to answer your prayer. God never says to just stand in hope. He says walk in faith. People say, God, hey, pastor, I pray that you would pray, pr- pray for my marriage. Pray for my relationship. All right, what's going on? They'll tell me, they'll tell me. There's all kind of conflict, this, that, and the other. It's been going on for a long time. Have you ever been to counseling? No. I'm praying that the Lord will just heal us one night in the middle of the night and we'll wake up and everything will be good. That's standing in hope. God doesn't want you to stand in hope. God wants you to walk in faith. And so I say to them, I say, you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying that God will give you the courage to look up a a Christian counselor in your area, find them, pay a little bit of money and go to that person so that you can be healed. That's the step of faith that God requires. If you want to see the mountain move in your relationship, God is the mountain mover, but you are the faith walker. God's going to answer that prayer, but he's going to use some steps of faith for you to be able to pull it off. Pastor. This happened about six months ago. Pastor, would you pray for my kid that they'll come to church? Yes. Tell me about them. Well, Pastor, they won't come. So how old are they? Four? (laughs) True story. I said, how old? Because I think you just said four. She's like, yes, sir, he's four. He will not come. I said, if he's four, he don't have the ability to make that decision. I said, I'm going to pray that you stop trying to be that kid's friend and you start being being that kid's parent. Because you can be their parent now and their friend later, or you can be their friend now, but you'll have to be their parent later. So I'm going to pray that God will give you the faith to dropkick that child, put them in the back of that car, drag them into this place, screaming their head off, bringing them back there to Crest Kids so that in that environment, they can hear about Jesus on their level and Jesus can move the mountain in that kid's life. But you got to move in faith. You can't just sell it them sit on the couch and try to catch some Pokemon. <laughs> this is probably a Poke stop. You could probably get some here. <laughs> Tell them that. Bribe them in the name of Jesus. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> but the reality is that if we want God to move, we're going to have to take some steps of faith. We, you're, you're always going to have to take steps of faith. 
You can't just pray that the addiction is going to break. You're going to have to take some steps of faith to see it happen. God is the mountain mover. You are the faith walker. He has an incredible plan for your life. And he says, you saw it in this verse. He said, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do you understand that? Nothing will be impossible for you. What will be impossible? Nothing. If you have faith, you can accomplish the dreams that God has put in your heart. But you can't just stand there and hope something happens. You got to take some steps of faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? Here's what you got to know. You're struggling with an addiction. I know there's a lot of people that are in this room at both of our campuses right now that are struggling with an addiction. If you're struggling with an addiction, I'm telling you right this moment, God can move that mountain in your life. The reason I know is because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive inside of you. And if my God is a grave robber, he can also be an addiction breaker. You understand what I'm saying? That's who God is. I'm not trying to tell you. Because there's some people they don't understand. They have faith in faith. I'm not trying to tell you to have faith in faith. I'm trying to show you how to have faith in God. The alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. I'm a pretty simple guy. He put the stars in the sky. I mean, come on. None of y'all ever put no star in no sky. He put the moon in the sky. He put, the, he put the oceans and he told the water how far it was allowed to go. That's crazy. I can't even tell my kids how far they're allowed to go. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. But before he even died, he came to this earth for 33 years and he lived a perfect sinless life on your behalf. Had he not lived for us whenever he died, it would have just declared us morally neutral. But because he lived on this earth for 33 years, he earned what you and I could not earn. He was the picture of perfection. Then he died on the cross, nails through his hands, through his feet, a sword driven through his side, a crown of thorns placed down on his skull, hanging but suspended between heaven and earth, all so that you and I could be forgiven. That's messed up, man. When I think about that, I'm like, Jesus loved me enough. Jesus knew me the most and loved me anyway. Hung on that cross, knowing my decisions, knowing what I would do, knowing how often I would make mistakes, all the things that I did end up doing and all the things that I thought about doing. Jesus knew all that. And he hung on the cross on my behalf. They put him in the ground for three days. But after those three days, Something began to happen. And when something began to happen, a shift occurred. And when that shift occurred, Jesus came crashing out of the tomb, proving that he was who he said he was. And I'm just trying to tell you, I already said it a moment ago, but if our God can be a grave robber through the person of Jesus Christ, then he can handle your issue. He can handle your problem. He can handle your addiction. He can handle your sin. I know you got a past, but Jesus says, I'm not thinking about you according to who you used to be. I'm thinking about you according to who you are now because of the person of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times people know us based on who we were. God doesn't know you based on who you were. 
Matter of fact, you hear about people in the Bible. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about the adulterous woman who was brought out and God or Jesus changes her life right then and there. If we were to get to heaven and say, hey, I want to talk to the woman that committed adultery. I want to talk to the adulterous woman from that book in the Bible. I think that'd be awesome. You know what they would say? Who's that? They wouldn't know who she was. Because in heaven, she's not known as the adulterous woman. In heaven, she's known as a daughter of the most high God, a child of the king. She's known as a person whose life has been changed by the, by the person of Jesus. That's true for us if we're followers of his. Golly, man, I'm telling you, it's like, if we can grasp it, if I can grasp it, if I can begin to grasp what it means that if I have just a little bit of faith, God can move mountains. If I have just a little bit of faith, God can change my city. If, if we have just a little, bit, a little bit of faith, God can change South Atlanta. If we have just a little bit of faith, God can change Noonan, Georgia. If we have just a little faith, God can change LaGrange, Georgia. If we have just a little bit of faith, God can change the world. But God's not going to change the world until, he, until we allow him to change our world. And it's going to take faith. Not faith in faith, faith in God. Faith is only as dependable as its source. And our faith comes from God. The one who, I said this, the one who put the stars in the sky, the one who was the first and the last, the the one who, listen, when you're starting to get worried about your problems coming up in the next few weeks, in the next few months, in the next few years, God's already there. He transcends time. He'll meet you there before you even get there. It's unbelievable to me. And that same God said, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And here's the question. What are we going to do with it? Because we can stand back all we want and hope for something good to happen. Or we can begin to walk in faith believing that it will. See, I can pray for racial reconciliation all day long, or I can be a picture of racial reconciliation in my own life. I can pray for God to intervene in the life of my kids, or I can ask God to give me the courage to step into their life and tell them about Jesus and do whatever I can so that they can see me living a life of faith. I can pray for my marriage, or I can seek opportunities for God to help me in my marriage. It's not enough to just sit back. I Don't hear me say that. I don't want you to pray. I want you to pray and walk in faith. Prayer is setting it up. That's where the power comes from. But when you walk it out, that's when God begins to move. So my prayer for us, my prayer for, for, for Noonan and for LaGrange and for Southcrest and for South Atlanta, my prayer is that God would put something special inside of us, that he would put so much faith inside of us that no matter what obstacle we face, we would know that God has the power to overcome it. No matter what addiction we face, God has the power to pull us through. No matter what kind of reconciliation needs to happen in our relationships, we know that the God, that our God is the mountain mover. If we will just be the faith walker, he will do what only he can do. So my prayer has been getting ready as I was even preparing to come here is just to give you a glimpse of what can happen. Give you a glimpse of what can happen whenever you have that kind of faith. Here's the good news, because let me tell you where I struggle. When it comes to faith, I always wonder, God, I don't know if I have enough faith to finish. 
I, I don't know if I have enough faith to get to the other side. Did you know this about God? God, does, you don't need enough faith to finish. You just need enough faith to start. It, it says in God's word that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You know what I wish it said? I wish it said God's word is a spotlight so we can see what's coming next. It's not the way God's word works because that doesn't require faith. It's a lamp unto our feet. You know how much light it produces? Just enough for you to take the next step. And then when you get there, guess what? Guess what happens? God gives you just enough faith to take the next step. And then when you get there, guess what happened? God gives you just enough faith to take the next step. That's why it's called the Christian walk, not the Christian run and not the whatever else you could put into that analogy. Walking it out. Believing that God is who he said he was. Believing that God can do what it is he said he can do. And if, listen, if half of the people that are watching right now at our Noonan and LaGrange campus, if half of us get it, Southcrest Church will never be the same. Noonan, Georgia will never be the same. LaGrange will never be the same. We won't be thinking about how do we, how do we build a campus for our LaGrange people. We'll be thinking about how do we start enough campuses as quickly as we need to do it. How do we raise up enough leaders? How do we make and create more seats? What can we do to change the city? Because God is blowing the doors off this place when you walk in faith. So here's my thing for you today. Two things, one of two things. Either, number one, we need to pray and say, God, I pray that you would open my eyes to the fact that you are the mountain mover and that I am the faith walker. God, give me enough faith to start so that I can begin to walk it out day in and day out. Maybe that's your greatest need. Maybe, maybe your greatest need is to actually believe that God has the power and the desire to do what it is he needs to do in your life. For many of you, that's your thing. If you're already a follower of Jesus, that's what I've been praying for you today in leading up to this day. But if you're in this room and you're on the front end of becoming a follower of Jesus, then what you need to know is that your greatest need is not that you would have enough faith to start in terms of overcoming addictions and reconciling relationships. What you need to do is pray that God will give you enough faith to surrender it all to Jesus. And to say, Lord, the best way I know how I turn my life over to you. I want to make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. I want you to make all things new. Lord, I learned that it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And if that's your desire, you know what's crazy? It's possible, sir, ma'am, at both of our locations that you walked into our doors on your way to hell. And you can walk out of these doors on your way to heaven. Not because of a great message, but because of an incredible God who desires to step into your life. And so all over this room, if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to pray. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.